Hey everybody, I know it's been a minute, but uh, Tilted and Glasses is back tonight. It is myself, it is Nick Nolenberger, it is the Barracuda, and I am looking really forward to getting this started. So here we go. But as always, if you want to be part of the show, be sure to check us out on all the social media, YouTube, Twitter, you know the you know the places, you know how this works by now. Steeltownusa.com. And like I said, tonight I am joined by Nick Nolenberger to discuss some Barracuda topics. Uh, Nick, I'm going to tell you when uh, I said that um, when I put in our Discord that you were going to be on, uh, I got flooded with questions. So I got a lot of uh, I got a lot of things to to talk to you about, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, Obviously, you guys know Nick Nolenberger. He is the voice of the Barracuda. Thanks for being here, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I I'm I'm just wearing a hoodie, so I think uh, absolutely as, as as we should as we should. Um. So Nick. Uh, I think there's two things. There's two big things that I think I got more than anything else when I said I was going to have you on. Um, the first one I do want to talk, I know he's not here anymore, but I do want to talk a little Ryan Merkley. Um, how did the players react to the, to the trade request? Like um, was, were, cause it seemed like everyone was pretty caught off guard by the trade request. Was that the same for the players? Mm-hmm. Right. There's no audio coming Okay. For the most part, it was fine. These guys are all good buddies and I think everybody enjoyed having Merck's around and um, they're friends with him. Right. And they built relationships with him over the last couple of years. So it was maybe a little bit awkward, but at the same time they understood, I think the situation, everybody understood. He's a guy who was a number one draft choice, played a lot last year in the NHL, had not played in the NHL this year. It's a new regime, new front office, maybe a different vision and, and not quite the, the loyalty to guys who were brought in by the prior regime. And, once that trade request was public knowledge, uh, again, I think the writing was on the wall that something was going to get done, and that's exactly what happened. It took a couple of weeks, but finally the, the trade w was made. And um, I think for Ryan, it's it's a good thing for him. He's going to get a fresh start. And for the Sharks, the same thing can be said. You basically are bringing in a player who is part of that same draft class, part of that same first round, and Martin Cowd, who frankly needs probably a fresh start himself. He was trying to break a, a lineup in Colorado that was coming off the Stanley Cup championship. And just hadn't quite got his footing at the NHL level, although he's played, I think, north of 20 or so games in the NHL this season. So um, I think for both parties, it was a good trade. For Ryan, he can get a fresh start. And the same thing for Martin Kalt. But uh, I would say unique situation, but not necessarily awkward. Guys just kind of took it by, took it in stride. And 
and just kind of rolled with the situation just like I think Ryan did. And, and in the end, I think he got what he wanted and the organization got what it wanted. Were you surprised that he didn't play again after the request became public? Yeah, you know, I, to be honest, I was a little bit. I don't, I don't know where that stood. It's, it's just so hard to have a real read on it if you don't know what's going on between the conversation between his agent and between the general manager, between the organization. You know, you've got a player obviously who requested a trade, and the organization was basically admitting that it was willing to uh, fulfill that request. Now, do you want him playing with your team? What What are you getting out of that if the end plan is to trade him? And I don't know right. if that discussion was set in stone behind the scenes where, hey, we're, we're working on it. This is going to get done. Just give us a little bit of time. If that's the case, why would you play him, right? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't benefit the player. I don't think it benefits the team or the current players. And for guys trying to crack the lineup and trying to cement themselves in the organization, you've got a player who's essentially just taken a roster spot for another guy. So – it was a little bit of a weird situation because you were in limbo. You knew he had requested the trade, but nothing had transpired yet. And then the trade happens, and it all kind of makes sense of why he didn't play and why you wouldn't put him into a game. I think if they were in a dire situation injury-wise and you were forced to play him, then you would have. But they were not, so they essentially just had him skate with the team, practice with the team until a deal got done. Was um, I, like At the beginning of the season, like you said like when Merkley didn't make the trip to Europe, um, you said like, you know, he didn't really, he wasn't really moping around or anything. Was that pretty consistent through the rest of the season? Yeah, for sure. He, he had a good attitude throughout, um, you know, liked by his teammates, got along with the guys. So there was no issue there. Um, again, sometimes you get to a certain point in a player's career mm-hmm. and they think maybe they're at a certain spot and the organization obviously has a different thought on this specific player. And again, if you're brought in by a prior regime, it's almost like a fresh slate. And that can be a great thing for some players, and it can be a bad thing for others, right? You get a new set of eyeballs on you, and if maybe it didn't work out for you the first couple of years, now you got a fresh start, and maybe this is the, the way that you work your way into the NHL. On the other side of the spectrum, if there's no real loyalty to a player, and it's a player that maybe isn't loved by the current regime, or the playing style, or whatnot, and again, there's going to be there's going to be a willingness to to make deals. We saw it a couple of weeks prior with Jasper Weatherby, kind of a similar situation, right. although different players and different styles of play and different points in their career. Weatherby being a little bit older, having played college hockey, but only in his second year, played 50 games in the NHL, had a little bit of a sluggish start this year offensively, and again, part of the prior regime, and they decided to make the trade. So. It puts everybody on high alert, I think, that it's a fresh start here. This is a golden opportunity for all of us. But at the same time, they're willing to part ways if if they feel like it's of the benefit of the long-term sustainability of the organization. So um, it's interesting times, to say the least, because of this transitional period and where the Sharks see themselves. Um, Who knows what's going to happen over the next few weeks in terms of additional trades? You know, there's lots of rumors right now. And everybody has their speculation on what's going to happen. The Sharks could be very active or they could turn around and not make any trades and, and try to get ready for next year and try to be more competitive next season. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But there's certainly a, a changing of the guard in terms of philosophies which within the organization. Um, w- one more on, on, on Merkley. Were you surprised that they brought in uh, another forward um, in, in trade? Like I, f- I feel like the Barracuda, like, definitely have had problems on defense this year health-wise 
depth wise. Like I, I think at the start of the season, I think we all agreed that that was the point of concern for the Barracuda was the blue line. Were you surprised that it was a forward that came? Like, I mean, there's not saying like, obviously Martin Kaut doesn't have to stay in the AHL forever. Um, but were you surprised that in the meantime, um, in the short term, at least they brought in another forward? Well, it's interesting this year because the Barracuda have been very ravished on the blue line. Derek Pouliot's a veteran guy who's playing on an AHL contract, but he missed 25 or so games this season. Patrick Seeloff was brought in on a PTO in training camp and has essentially been that veteran stable presence on the blue line, playing on an American Hockey League deal. So Terry Hotik has been out basically since the start of the year, hasn't played. We'll see if he ends up playing a game this year. So they've been really injured on the blue line. Nick Chichek has been up for most of the season, at least yo-yoing between the two leagues. And uh, you've got young players, Montana Anabuchi, playing on an AHL deal. So certainly you would think, where's the, maybe the, the the chink in the armor in terms of depth? It's probably at the at the defensive spot on the blue line. You go back to two years ago when the, the organization drafted nine forwards, the thought was we're really thin up front. We want depth at the forward position. All of a sudden, now you're a couple of years removed, and now you feel maybe that the decor is a little bit thin. Um, surprised, I would say no, because, again, you've got a situation where the organization has maybe already showed its hand or at least revealed its hand on its thoughts on this specific player. The player has requested the trade. You're basically agreeing to fulfilling it. So how much leverage do you really have? And I think yeah, when you made fair. this trade, you're looking at a young player in Martin Cadigan, 23 years of age. Maybe a fresh start sparks something there, and, and he ends up being a player for you. So I don't, I don't think they were position-specific. They were just looking for the best option for themselves. And you've got a guy maybe in Jacob McDonald, most likely will be in the NHL, but I think he's maybe a 6 or a 7 D-man. And mm -hmm. when in the American League, he's dynamic. In the NHL, he's kind of a fringe guy. So is there potential maybe you get down the final stretch of the season and you're looking at the Barracuda reaching the playoffs, the Sharks not, you end up – sending Jacob McDonald down and really trying to bolster the blue line. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But to say I was surprised they didn't go D for D, not really, because, again, you're just looking for the best value back. Um, on uh, hot Because you brought up Hotika. How what's the, what's the situation there? Like, do we know what the nature of the injury is? Because I feel like he's been gone forever. Yeah, he's been gone for a while, and I don't I don't know what the plan. I haven't heard anything in terms of is he out for the year, but it's obviously pushing now. You mm. know, what almost three months. So you got to start start thinking because I haven't seen him at the rink, I haven't seen him skating. So you got to assume it's something at the very least. This season is a long term injury. Um, again, does he return? Uh, not sure, um, but it's been, it's been kind of too bad for him because this yeah. was a pivotal year for him. He's another guy who was brought in by the prior regime. I think he showed flashes last year as being a guy who could one day reach the NHL on a full-time basis. He skates really well, obviously. was a later-round pick. Played a little bit in the NHL last year and unfortunately just bit by the injury bug this year and hasn't been able to really get his footing uh, since getting injured back. I think it was in November. So um, it's too bad that he hasn't been able to return. And I don't know if he's going to, but at this point you, you, you start thinking probably, probably not. But again, no real definitive answer on that, unfortunately. Um, how, how, what do you think of... Um... Knizhov's uh, time with the Barracuda coming back after not playing for um, basically almost two years now, it feels like. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you're, you've got a little bit of trepidation because you look at a situation in the NHL that just basically occurred, excuse me, uh, early January with Max Pacioretty coming back, suffering that same injury, yeah. uh, torn Achilles, and he plays a handful of games and re-injures it. That's an injury, not saying I'm a doctor by any means, no. but just from talking to people and, and hearing how that injury 
is from a rehab standpoint. But basically, once you injure it, uh, you've got to just build that the muscle back up, and sometimes you've got to basically jump into the fire to do it. So he said he's 100% healthy. I think it's a situation where he's just trying to build his body back up from a, a physical standpoint. And he's on a, a conditioning loan, essentially, a long-term injury conditioning loan. So he's going to have to go back up to the Sharks here shortly. But he's played two games. They did not play him in a back-to-back the other night against Bakersfield. He had played in Henderson. We got on the bus. It's like a four-hour bus trip. We got in 2.30 in the morning. And they didn't play him the next night. And I think that was just out of caution to sure. make sure we want to ease him back in. But he was a little rusty. No surprise. Hasn't played in 20 months prior to this past week and he was a little bit rusty i would say on his first couple of shifts in henderson his first yeah, game was so squirrely <laughs> he got better and better though as the game continued he was on the ice in uh, overtime actually i said i thought for a moment you're going to score in overtime when we we're on the bus he said i was so tired uh my brain wasn't really working so i thought i just try to shoot it through the goalie's pad <laughs> so i thought that was pretty funny so um yeah, what a what a long and, and windy road for him. You just feel so bad for him because he went up and played so well that first season. Basically, you haven't seen him since the COVID year. So you hope that he's past that and he's got all these injuries in the rearview mirror. But uh, through the small sample size, I think he's been pretty good. I think he's been pretty mobile. One of the big pieces is, of his game was his skating ability, too. And I, I think he's looked pretty good, again, for those catastrophic injuries that he's dealt with over the last two years so um really valuable time for him he's enjoyed being around the guys and just getting back onto the ice and he was jonesing to get back into the lineup this past trip so i know he was happy and and uh he may not admit it but i think he would have loved to play that that back-to-back that's that's where he's at and how he feels about playing right now because it's been so long for him i give you a lot of credit because like with both and I, I, I like even now I'm struggling to do it with both Nizev and and Nishov in the same lineup. Like I would, I would mess that up. Nonstop. Somebody tweeted that, and I, I was like, well, we'll see what happens. Like we haven't had him yet, <laughs> but I had Nikolai one season, and I've had Artemi the last two, so I never had them together. But yeah, it's it was uh, the first game was brutal. I mean, if you if you listen to the game, there's a few different times that I, I fumbled that, but uh, luckily they weren't a deep pairing. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, you almost have to say the first name to make sure you get the last as if they kind of rolled together instead that's... of just going with uh, with the last name. So that was helpful that for me. That is ingenious. Yes. Yeah, I, I yeah. like that. That's ingenious. So if you heard that. me say Nikolai Kanijov a little more than just Kanijov, well, there you go. That's the reason why, because I had, I had to make sure I was navigating my i guess tongue around around those last names but um yeah those that's that's a good trick i like that (laughs) i like that a lot um the other thing that um a lot of people uh wanted me to ask you about is the discipline of this barracuda team because i think that's they've kind of been in a lot of games their own worst enemy and i think the game that really stood out to me this game broke me was that was the game against abbotsford where they go down by a goal, and then they fight to get back in it. Jeff Fiel scores, immediately takes a penalty <laughs> on yeah. the next face-off. <laughs> and then they take another penalty, and then the whole game just kind of goes off the rails from there. How How is John McCarthy trying to correct this? Because I think that's the one question that I got asked a lot. Yeah. Well, for one, I think 
you look at penalty minutes per game, they've been basically sitting at either one or two for a good majority. Now, that's a little inflated because of the game against Tucson and a couple of other ones. Of course, you had the Tucson game that was, I think, over 160 combined penalty minutes. But the minor penalties, the time they've been on the PK is right near the top of the league. I think they're second only behind San Diego Mm -hmm. in the amount of times that they've been on the penalty kill. So this this is an issue. And it continues to be an issue. And that game you're referring to against Abbotsford was uh, was a complete dagger. You, you score yeah. a goal, you outscored the goal, and on the ensuing faceoff took a penalty that he he, he knows better. Again, Jeff Fiel, what makes him great is the way that he plays, his physicality, the way he plays on the edge, his willingness to do whatever it takes to win. As a veteran player, though, he knows better to take that penalty. And mm. I, I don't know why there was that, even though the, the official warned him, and he took another whack and continued to battle away, so he ends up taking a penalty. So, yeah, it's been an issue all season long, and I've asked John about it in pregame conversations and in various interviews, and you know, he's talked about the reasons why guys take certain penalties and you're either chasing or you're not moving your feet or you're reaching, um, all the, the little minutia of how you defend or, or the way you play the game. Um, so there's, there's ways to rectify it. I, I think for guys, it's got to be in their minds that they – can't take certain penalties and they sometimes can't take risky plays in terms of uh, uh, whacking a shin guard or getting your stick down in, in a player's skate. So there's, there's various ways to try to avoid it. Um, and again, you know, you're going to have penalties in games where, where sure. it starts to snowball on you. And I think that's happened to the team this year where maybe frustration comes to the surface. Um, I think they've built a little bit of a reputation as well this year. Um, Going back to that Tucson game and other games where yeah. they have guys in the lineup that are certainly willing to to battle and you know sometimes even drop the gloves and they play a very physical brand at least a handful of the guys on the team so I, I think they build a reputation there as well and I don't know if anybody would admit to it but I think it's on the minds of the officiating crews when they work these games is that this team maybe is going to tilt the line a little bit in terms of what they can get away with. Um, again, it's a, it's a younger team, so you're going to have these, these moments of, I guess, mental lapses. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's come back to, to bite them a few times this year. But, you know, I, I think the, the onus is on the players. That's at least the message from the coaching staff. I mean, they can tell you to, to do things. Again, it's going to be the players executing it. So um, it's certainly something you don't want to have your game in your game as you, you continue along, especially you get into the postseason where – it's hard to score five on five, so you, teams are, are going to try to capitalize, obviously, just like they do in the regular season, but maybe even more enhanced um, uh, during special teams. So it, it's going to be something that's going to continue to be harped on, and hopefully it, it works its way out of the team's game because it, it has been an issue. There's there's no doubt about it. And another thing that's been a problem, that because the team's been on the penalty kill so much, it's revealed a lot of the systematic stuff as well. It's given a lot of tape for teams on how to attack the power play or attack the team's penalty kill, um, which was very good at the start of the year, and it kind of has fallen off since that point. And and one of the reasons is the absence of Derek Pouliot, who's been just fabulous on the penalty kill when he's been in the lineup. I think the team's around 90%. When he hasn't played, it's around 74%. So obviously a big jump there. Um, But what's going to help this team is staying out of the box as much as possible. So long-winded answer. I don't know if there's a real straight-line solution to it, but it's got to be something on the mind of the players to avoid certain situations that's going to basically expose themselves to get called. Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, and Derek Pouliot, I like has been just 
such a revelation for this team. Um, it was one of those. It was one of those guys. Like I thought he was really like I really enjoyed his play early on um, when he was paired. Like he was paired with Merkley early on. I thought that was a really good pair. But yeah, I mean, you definitely felt that absence when he went out of the lineup, and it showed just like how much they missed uh, him. Because I, I think he's been a revelation since he's come back. I think they've been, like you said, a lot better on the kill, a lot better defensively, just in general. Um, with Pouliot back in the lineup. Um, obviously, they made, um, you mentioned the, the Weatherby trade earlier. Uh, Kyle Criscolo comes in. Uh, what, have you, what have your thoughts on him so far uh, as far as um, what he's done for the team? Yeah, just from personality, uh, attitude, approach, mindset, just being a pro's pro, he's been a great fit. I think the guys have loved having him in the room. Even the veteran guys like Seeloff and Agazino and Pouliot, they've enjoyed his company. He's a guy who knows what it takes to be successful in the AHL. He's carved out a long career despite being undrafted, being undersized. Uh, he's ba- you're basically going to get every ounce uh, of his ability out of him. I mean, it doesn't shortchange you at all. And and when they made that trade, obviously the 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 talk amongst fans, at least on social media, was why are you trading uh, a 24 year old prospect for a 30 year old who has played only a handful of games in the NHL. And I think it only, in, in my mind, it only increases what we thought the organization wanted to do with this team, and that was to allow the young prospects to play all year long in the American Hockey League, really play big minutes, but also be surrounded by good veteran players who know what it takes to be a pro. They lead by example, not only on the ice, but off the ice, and Chris Colo fits that bill. Um it hasn't hurt that he's played three games and has three goals. Nope. <laughs> and he's really kind of sparked that line with CJ Cease and Max Verano. Cease and Verano have struggled, I think, this year to, to find offense. Um, they do other things in the in the game, but just consistently from an offensive standpoint, they both struggle to continually put up points. And since they put that line together, it's been pretty dynamic. So Chris Colo kind of has gotten everything going from that standpoint. And, again, just a quality guy. Um mm-hmm. Bob Cage, a longtime voice of the Grand Rapids Griffins, had reached out to me as soon as that trade happened, and he said, one of the best guys I've had in my 25 years. Um, so I thought that was a, a great indictment on his personality, and I see nothing to uh, to argue that case. He's been great in the locker room, a really personable guy, really friendly guy, um, and has just been a great fit. And I think uh, if the Barracuda are able to work their way up the standings, I think there's no doubt that they'll reach the playoffs, at least in my mind. I think it would be a, a real disappointment if they didn't. Yeah. Um, but I think guys like Chris Kolo are, are going to allow this team to go beyond just the first round. He's an experienced guy who's been in the Calder Cup finals as a Calder Cup championship under his belt. So just a valuable asset for this team. Um, I have a question uh, from the chat here. Like, obviously, Boards, Eklund, Robbins, like those guys are going to get a lot, of, a, a lot of pub. Is there any player that you think maybe isn't getting his due that's been maybe more quietly good that's maybe not getting of the of the rookies from a skill standpoint i would say daniel gushin has been really good um i think he's proven that he has an nhl shot they put him on that flank position much like thomas bordelow and uh he's proven he can beat american league goaltenders with that shot so he's been impressive to me i think like many young players and we see this there's going to be ebbs and flows and we're starting to get to the dog days of the year and again he's an undersized player so is there a little bit of a, a wear and tear effect there because i think he his game and the offensive chances that he has generated this year has maybe tailed off a little bit over the last couple of weeks 
doesn't mean that he can't get back to where he was. But any young player, I, I see it every year. These guys kind of hit this wall. Um, and it's as much a, a mental wall as it is physical at this point for them as well. So he's been really impressive. I, I've really liked his game. There's there's the names that you mentioned, right? The mm-hmm. Eklunds, the Bordelos, who get a lot of pub, the Robbins. Mm-hmm. Robbins is another guy who I think has hit a little bit of an offensive wall uh, as well. But it's just about breaking through that. And I know the coaching staff, they're, they're trying to push them forward because this is that time where you've got to turn that corner. And a, a lot of it's mental because these guys sure. – now they play juniors. Now both um, both Robbins and Gushin play in the CHL with Gushin in the OHL, obviously, and Robbins in the WHL. So they played a a lot of games. They didn't go the college route, right? So they they they're used to the long schedule, but the pro game's different. It, it's more demanding physically. It's going to wear on you uh, mentally. It's going to wear on you. Our travel schedule has been quite rigorous this year as well. Between the length of the trips and the travel locations, our our division is spread out so much now that it just makes a lot of the travel much longer our trips are are no longer three or four days they're more like nine to ten days Uh, multiple flights layovers and and bus trips and and all that so um you know these guys you got to get used to it really it's almost like you got to get in shape for the travel as well and i think that's been a factor for guys but as we get closer to this playoff race and we get through i think february we get to march and we've got a month and a half left of the season everybody's game will begin to ramp back up just because mentally you're, you're chasing a care a little bit and, and you see a light at the end of the tunnel. The regular season is almost over. We've got a playoff race. These games are valuable. We're trying to get into postseason. So I think everybody's game will kind of elevate as we get through this next month and, and get into March and have the playoffs right on the horizon. Um, Tristan Robbins, we haven't like, is, is Tristan Robbins just been kind of a victim of just like, a, there's a lot of forwards on the Barracuda right now. I feel like he hasn't played a lot lately. Is yep, that just I the think that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, he was. I think he's like most guys. I think everybody on the on the team's injured at this point. He was dealing with a little bit of a injury situation, just uh, bumps and bruises. But over the last handful of games, I, I think he's just been the odd man out. Um, there's quite a few forwards on this team, as I've mentioned, or I mentioned uh, just moments ago. I think he's hit a little bit of a wall mm-hmm. from just a, a chances standpoint. You watch a lot of the games. Yep. You don't necessarily need to score every night, but it's about generating chances when you're a skilled forward, and that's sure. that's why you know, you're know you there is to provide that offensive punch. So there's been ebbs and flows as of late. Again, any young player trying to turn that corner, I think that's what's going on with him. So so I think he's been a victim of that. A lot of forwards right now on this team. And you've added a couple of more over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, now he's jockeying for uh, roles that maybe he was up in the lineup before. And now he's he's been dropped out a little bit. He's competing for ice time with other guys. And and that that's, the, I think, the real reason why he hasn't played a ton over the last, you know, two, two or three weeks. So um, it, it'll just take a game. I really feel like both. Uh, himself and Gushin, it, they've got the type of offensive ability that once it, one goes in, right. all of a sudden it starts to snowball on them. So the confidence is back, and maybe not gripping the stick, and maybe not fighting it as much. Um, and uh, you know, confidence is the name of the game for for any skilled player. A player who I really like, but it's been really hard to defend this year. Adam Rask has had a rough year. Um, I feel like you, you know, like for for a guy who, when we talk about discipline, I think he's been one of the big offenders there but he hasn't had the points to kind of offset that um he did have the the two goals the other night but other than i mean it's been a real quiet year on the score sheet for adam raska what's what do you think's the the issue there well when he was in junior he put up pretty good numbers so he he built this reputation of he not only can he play on the edge and he has this kind of unique skill set from the way he plays 
mm-hmm. like Energizer, Energizer Bunny out there. But he also put up some points. And sometimes guys, and you see it all the time, they put up points in junior and it just doesn't quite translate. They're asked to play a different role. Maybe he was getting PP time in, in junior and that was inflating the points, um, playing higher up in the lineup, playing with different types of players. Um, and I think over, you know, you can go back to last year. I think he had five goals, played a little bit in the NHL and towards the final three or so months, the offense uh, really wasn't there much. Um, but what makes him a, a great player and what intrigues you with his game are the other intangibles that he has. Now, does he have to stay out of the box? Certainly. You yeah. can't continually <laughs> take penalties and then not have the offense to kind of, as you mentioned, offset it. Mm-hmm. So you've got to stay disciplined. But it's tough for him because he plays right on the line. I mean, yeah. he's there's no one that's going to play with the type of part and energy that this guy has. And again, it's borderline because he, he likes to insert himself from a physical standpoint. He's not a very big guy, but the, the checks that he throws, it's almost old school at times. Uh, the big body checks that he's throwing and the, the type of physical nature that he plays with. So that's the good thing about his game is he he can be an F1 that's going to get in on the four check and blow things up, but maybe not provide the offensive punch. But at least he's got the other parts to his game that he can rely on. So I think it's been disappointing for him personally that he hasn't put up the offensive numbers, but he's also begun to change his mind frame that if I play how the coaches want me to play, if I play that physical brand – if I'm defensively responsible, if I can kill penalties, if I can be that guy who's just an absolute pest, like a dog on a bone mm-hmm. with the puck, then that's my niche. I'm not going to worry as much about the offense because it'll begin to come. And we've actually seen it over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Of course, he had the two goals last game in a 12-second span. Funny how that works. He hadn't scored in 30 games. He scores right. twice in 12 seconds. But he was around the net. He had a couple uh, of goals that I think could have been his. They were almost uh, borderline. You couldn't really tell on the, on the review sure. uh, on our prior road trip. So he's been around the net. His points are starting to increase, but I don't think that's ever going to be his game. Right. So if you accept that and you just kind of take uh, it for what it's worth and what his abilities are, I think he's gotten better and better. And if you hear how the coaches talk about him, they've liked his evolution this season as well. Um, just from playing within the systems, doing what he's being asked and not worrying so much about the offensive side of the puck. Um, uh, another player that um, I usually get asked about, and I don't know what to say, is is Ozzy Weisblatt. Um, obviously, we saw earlier that his rights got traded uh, in junior. Were you surprised that, given how seldom he's been used? I know there was a like when his rights got traded, he was getting used a little more often at that point. But how, with how seldom Weisblatt's been used, are you surprised they didn't send him back to junior? It's an interesting situation because he wanted to be in San Jose. He wants mm-hmm. to be a pro. Sure. Um, just having casual conversations with him, it was brought up kind of in, in a joking manner just about your rights getting traded. You going back to junior, mm-hmm. even among some of the guys, even among the staff. And uh, he basically said, uh, paraphrasing, but I hope not. Yeah. He, wanted, yeah. he wants to be in San Jose. He wants to be a pro, feels like he's a pro at this point. Um, you know, it's hard for guys, I think sometimes mentally and maybe even from a, from an ego standpoint, not saying he has any sort of ego, he's a great kid, but to go back as an overage player yeah. is sometimes a tough pill to swallow, especially when you're a higher draft pick. Um, it works out for guys though. We've seen it work out in the past in the Sharks prior with the old regime, again, a little bit notorious with sending guys back. They had no problem sending them back for their overage year, allowing them to have a lot of success. 
um, and then coming back a little bit more built physically, more confident um, with that additional year of junior under their belt, under, uh, yeah, their belt. So um, once his rights were traded, I think there was a couple of games before there was a short window before they could actually send it back. And yeah. um, John McCarthy was asked uh, multiple times and he said at this point, you know, um, he's going to be here. And I think that that has already passed. So, um, you know, it, again, it's it goes back to a guy like Robbins, too. And, and Robbins has had a little bit more production to his game. But there's a lot of forwards right now and it's competitive. And I think that's the goal of the organization is to have that internal competition. And Ozzy's a young kid and to be in and out of the lineup is not totally out of the question in his first sure. season of pro. I think where he was drafted is is where people start to scratch their head on why isn't this kid playing. Right. Um, but it goes back to the fact that there's a lot of depth. And w- once you're in the room and inside the walls, it doesn't necessarily really matter where you're drafted. It's about performance and uh, about where you're viewed and, and all that. So um, I, I, for me personally, I've liked his game when he's played. I think he plays with a lot me of pace. Too. I think he generates chances. I think he, he's quite physical for his size too, which I, I think has been an enjoyable thing. Um but again, he'll he'll play a few games and then sit out a few. So it's just been this kind of yo-yoing effect, whether he's scratched or he's playing. So we'll see if he ends up getting more games down the stretch. But like I said, I've I've liked his game when he's played. Yeah, I, I I've I've liked his game too. And I feel like the thing with Weisblatt is is the Barracuda have a lot of that guy. You know, like guy who I, I I don't think like I don't think Weisblatt's a guy who's going to put up a ton of numbers, but he's going to be a real pain in the neck to play against. And I feel like the bear could kind of have that guy a lot of that guy yeah yeah i think it's it's tough to say but i think he's and this is not saying he doesn't have offense in his game because no, I, no, no. I think he does but he's more on like if you're looking at, at the spectrum mm-hmm. he's more on the raska side in terms of the the, the way that he Agreed. wants to play and the way he likes to play compared to the bordello side right um, yeah and that then that's kind of what i would say too i'd like that's kind of where i was coming from with that yep with that statement yep um, if the Sharks do trade a goalie, who gets the call up? Well, that's a great question. Um, obviously Aaron Dell has played a couple of games. Etu has played a, a couple of games this year as well. Um, it, it just depends on what they want to say. I think back in the is probably, I mean, from a long-term standpoint, right? It's hard to mm-hmm. think that Etu's not the guy that they're looking at long-term in the pipeline currently as the most potential to be a 1A goaltender in the NHL. Played a couple of games, has a win under his belt. I think the defense for the Barracuda, because it's been so ravished by injuries, has left the goaltending overall a little bit high and dry. And you saw McEnany go through a six-game losing streak after he went up to the NHL. He started to to kind of find his game, and I think it's in concert with the fact that Decor has gotten better, too, in front of him. Um, So good, good question. I mean, I would say from a prospect standpoint, he's going to be the guy, Mm -hmm. but the Sharks have, I think, shown this year they have no problem with filling their roster needs with guys who are a little bit more established and a little bit more on the veteran side, just to get through this season. Um, so it, it would be hard. It'd be hard to tell, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was either goaltender, to be honest. But if you're looking at it from a prospect standpoint, I think McNamee would be the kind of the obvious choice to be the the next option there. Um. Were you surprised when uh, did you see the report today saying that the Sharks are looking to add to their goaltending depth? I did see that actually. I was just reading that uh, a little bit before we came on. 
I think until you got one, you're going to keep get trying to get sure. one. It, it's kind of like the quarterback position, right? That philosophy in the NFL until you have one, you just keep drafting them. I think the goaltending position is the same, and the Sharks are going through this transitional period. And I think we'd all love to to see McAniemy take over the reins in the next couple of years, or one of these guys come up, whether it's a Strauss man who's currently obviously in the system, or even a guy Ben Gaudreau in the in mm-hmm. this system, or any of these other guys, uh, Bo Pitt or uh, Cronin, whoever. You hope they take they take over the reins, but again, competition I think is probably the best bet there. You just fill the room with as many bodies as possible, with as much potential as possible, and hope you get lucky on one or two of them. Um, so not not surprised to be honest. The fact they went and made the trade last year with Jake Middleton. Now again, it was a, a different regime. Yes, but you br- you bring in a goaltender in that situation, and obviously things haven't gone maybe the way that the organization hoped this year. Um, as a team collective, I don't think you could put all the onus on the goalies by any means. But no. um, it'd be interesting if they decided to make a trade and one of the big pieces was a goalie. Uh, I would be a little bit shocked. But again, it's maybe a, a philosophical change within the organization on that position. Who knows? Yeah, I guess. I mean, the only thing that I wonder is just because you look at the guys like potentially turning pro next year, like Magnus Krona, I think is this is his last year of college. So he's coming um obviously like Strauss man's kind of been on the Wichita shuttle um so it's like I just I was surprised when I read that because it's just like you you already have a goalie who you have basically splitting time between the ECHL and AHL through no fault of his own I think Strauss man's been really good in that when he's been called on for the Barracuda um so I'm just curious to see like I don't know you have more goalies coming so it's just you want to make sure that they're all getting to play I guess Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's well, it's going to be inter- interesting this year. What happens with James Reimer? What happens, you know, up top with that goaltending combo? We saw it last year where there was a huge logjam. Even the signing of Aaron Dell, I think, came out a little, little bit out of left field. But then that was cleared up once they made the trade with Aiden Hill going to Vegas. So things are certainly up in the air. I don't think anybody um, would say that the jobs that are going to be available this summer and moving forward are set in stone, right? Sure. I think there's going to be a potential for, for guys to take jobs and try to work their way up into those positions. So, um, you know, I, I, you could ask 32 teams in the NHL, are they trying to improve their goaltending? I think every single one of them would probably say yes, at least from a depth standpoint, even sure. Tampa Bay, right? So, right. Or like, um, if you're not the Rangers, I think like the Rangers, the Islanders and Tampa Bay, you're, you're, you're not worried about your goaltending in the immediate yep. future <laughs> but well, yeah, I think look at washington teams, right they've sure. got i mean how many uh, washington capital alumni are in the nhl not in washington playing pretty good in, in the nets so talk about an organization that has continued to take goaltenders and develop goalies um you know i guess you just can't have enough so again i, I go back to the quarterback position with goalies because until you have one you're going to keep searching for one so and i guess if you have one you're still searching so it's an how, interesting position. That's that's for sure. It's fascinating. How 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 have you felt about Stress Man when, when called upon for the Barracuda? I've really liked his game. I like his approach. I like his mentality. He's a very mature kid. Went overseas, obviously. Went through the college route. Um, has a really pro mindset. Uh, when I was speaking to Evgeny Nabokov this summer, he didn't want to put any predictions or sure. expectations on him. But he talked about his pro mentality. He said he's ready now as a professional now is he ready to be a goalie in the nhl he didn't go that far but he said his mindset his approach uh nhl like so i think that's an encouraging sign just his his mentality and he's had a pretty adverse 
career to this point in terms of the path that he's he's taken to this level. I mean, he wasn't very highly recruited, had to go overseas to play last year in the SHL, was undrafted. Um, I don't think he had many options from a from a North American professional standpoint. Sharks being one, um, obviously, but he's kind of worked for everything he's gotten. So I, he's just one of those guys you don't write off because he he seems to prove people wrong time and time again. Awesome, um, Strasman. Do you think um, has he like obviously? I mean, he's a first year pro, so he's going to do what he's told. But is is um, is has he shown any frustration with the trips between Wichita and San Jose? I I would say definitely not, but I would say he's, mm-hmm. he's I think he's just enjoyed playing. Sure, you know I, I, he wants to be in San Jose. Obviously, yeah. he wants to be in the NHL first and foremost. Who doesn't? But I think he wants to be in the American League. But he also recognizes there's three goalies here. Yeah. I want to play, and they've done. It's been an interesting situation because they'll call him up and play a game or two, and then he's back. So I think he gets it now. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying he didn't before, but now he's got this routine going where understands he's going to play a couple of games, be around the guys, be with the group, work with Nabby, get on the ice with the development staff, and then go back to Wichita and play some games. Um, the goaltending position more so than any other position needs games, and you see it all the time. Guys on their resume have to start in the ECHL. It's, just, uh, it's the position more so than defense or forward. They need to play, and if it's in the ECHL, the American League, it doesn't matter. They just need sure. to play in their career. And um, you, again, you look at the resume of a lot of starting goalies in the in the National Hockey League, and many had to make their way through the East Coast League. So it's not a foreign path. And I think at least this year, if this is going on next year, maybe it's a different mindset. Who knows? But um, this year, I think he's had a great attitude, understands his role, and is again just trying to hone his craft and and get better. So his his mindset and approach has been great. Awesome. Um, just seeing if there's anything in the chat I want to hit up here. Um, uh, how is um, how is how has it been calling games uh, in obviously in Tech CU as opposed to the um, SAP Center for the games? It's, like it's unbelievable. It is as good as it gets. It's uh, I can read the last names off the jerseys. <laughs> It's, uh, you know, I was so high up before and obviously we're in an NHL building that wasn't full. So it was really hard to get much of an atmosphere and much of a feel from the broadcast booth. And now I'm right on top of everything. It's it's as good of a view as you're going to get at any level. We're right at center ice. We're right on top of the ice. It's um, we're not too close. We're not too far away. It's 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 amazing. I would say it's the equivalent. The Sharks used to have their broadcasters right at the bottom of the second bowl, and I think they've they've moved Randy Hunt back into that position. I think Dan Rusnowski is all the way up top again, but it's an incredible view for those guys, and it's very similar to Texas Arena. So um, not that people care all that much about where we're sitting, but it is as good as it gets. It's been super, super rewarding, I think, this year to be a part of this move and, and be in this building and the atmosphere of some of our bigger promotional nights has just been incredible. It's been a lot of fun, and the team has enjoyed playing there. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun this year. This has been a long time coming to get this arena and move this team and finally to get out of, I'd say, the shadow of the Sharks and build an identity. It's been awesome. And, again, selfishly, from my standpoint, it's it's been incredible. So I've, I've enjoyed it. Do you think um, after the trade deadline, um, who do you think like do you think we'll see any of the the big guys getting called up like the your Eklunds or your Bortolos? Do you think we'll see any of that happen um, after the trade deadline? 
the ultimate question, right? I think yeah. everybody is curious. Are they going to get some games? I think they're probably going to get some games. I, I would be shocked if they didn't give them a few. Um, I think that's good for their development to play some. At this point, we see the writing on the wall. This is a development year. These guys are going to play a lot of minutes, play in big situations. They're going to get better as 200-foot hockey players. But they also, I think, will reward them at the end of the year. We'll see. To be determined. But I would, uh, I'd would—I'd be surprised if they don't end up getting a handful of games near the end of the year, post-trade deadline, get them up in the NHL, and then return them back to the American Hockey League where their confidence is oozing and they're ready to roll for the playoffs. I, I, I could definitely see that coming for sure. Awesome. Well, Nick, I super appreciate you taking the time to uh... – listen to all my rambling questions tonight <laughs> and uh talk some barracuda with me um it has been it's been a like it's been a fun season like for the most part i've enjoyed uh, a lot of the games there's been some stretches where it hasn't been so fun like i said that average for a game absolutely broke me i think that was the most <laughs> nasty on twitter i've been about any any sharks related hockey this year but other than that like it's definitely been fun watching the um, watching the young guys play um getting better together and um yeah i mean just thanks for doing this with us with of me. course yeah thank you for having me and we appreciate the support as well we see you on twitter and, and you know tweeting the games and following the team and um yeah anytime obviously happy happy to jump on and again pr- appreciate the sport i know that from an organizational standpoint uh we appreciate the sport as well so uh, keep up the great work and hopefully we've got a playoff uh, long playoff stretch in our in our future we can talk again soon around around uh, postseason time that would be fantastic i would i would definitely enjoy that awesome all right guys um so that was nick nolenberger the voice of the san jose barracuda um you guys know the drill if you want to be a part of the show uh you know if you didn't watch this live leave us a youtube comment um hit us up on the social media platforms and all that wonderful stuff again appreciate everyone being here thank you to nick and we are out of here